0: Mashiach, now, welcome to the Bain Hametrim series. We are currently on day number 12, corresponding to the letter Lamed. So we were talking about the one who would sit on the throne of David forever, and how that was not Shlomo and none of his descendants. Uh, Reading from what the rabbis know about the Messiah on page 50. So continuing on, it says more than two centuries, which is 200 years. I don't know why I decided to write that in the notes, but I did. Prophetically, additional details were accumulated about this son of David, son of God. So interesting to note that when it says Ben David, that also means Ben Hiloim. Also saying Hosea informed the people, however, that they would have a long wait. And I wrote out in the margin, this is Luke chapter 2, verse 25, where you see Shimon, uh, I think his um, English name is Simon. You'll see that in the gospel accounts where he says, I wouldn't uh, die until I saw the, the salvation of Hashem and he rejoiced, and he was super glad, and then there was the daughter of Asher, who was also in the temple precincts. I got to see him as well, so just some beautiful things that were coming to play, are coming to pass uh, when Yeshua was born, so the salvation of Hashem uh, being Yeshua in Hebrew, also the name of the Mashiach, Yeshua, uh, just a lot of pun, and very super intentional, and as it is with the Torah, with it, with the word of Hashem, there's always the homiletics, there's the puns, there's the seemingly redundancies when it comes to the commentaries. You know, you could you could read the commentary and it'll say one thing, and then you can look at the word and it'll say the same thing, and then you'll look at the Kabbalistic understanding and it'll basically say the same thing. Like, for instance, we just finished um Parsha um Pencus, and then we're in Parsha Matot-Masei this week, and in Parsha Pencus, you'll find that we learn that Pencus is Eliyahu. Well, no matter what commentary you pick up, it basically just draws circles around the connection between Pencus and Eliyahu, whether they're the same person, whether they're uh, Gilgalim, whether uh. Penkis is a Gilgul of Eliyahu. Uh, It also talks about the angelic form of Penkis is the angelic form of Eliyahu and things like that. And so, I mean, there's such beautiful commentaries to explain why Penkis is Eliyahu. And so you just keep finding source after source after source that talks about it. And then it's just kind of like, They all weave and blend in together. One of the most beautiful sources on that is the Pritzker Zohar. Uh, If you can check out the passage on that uh, from Parsha Pencus and uh, look at the footnotes as well, because they give all the sources for everything. So just all that to say, there was a long wait for the promise of the one who would sit on the throne of David forever, because we learned. Hashem gave a promise to David that his descendants will sit on the throne forever. So going on, it says, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a sacrifice, which is funny because we're in that time period now. And it says, afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek Hashem their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness In the latter days, the faithful ones in Israel in each generation were no doubt wondering whether the promised one would come in their generation. Man, this is so familiar to us right now. You know, anticipating the arrival of the king is just such a beautiful place to be in. And may we never lose heart because it can happen at any moment. And, you know, we know that time is, is winding down. We know that prophecies are coming to pass. We're in the middle of the geula. And so we just need the completion to happen and it can happen any day. And this three weeks is uh, really one of those factors of, you know, pressing in close to Hashem and really birthing the Mashiach. You know, if you think about the the last few weeks of pregnancy for a woman, it's just kind of like, okay, so there is a due date, but you know, how many times does that due date actually happen? You know, uh, and when the due date does happen, it still kind of takes you by surprise because you don't know the hour. <laughs> you know, you're just kind of like, OK, I don't know. Is it going to be in the morning? Is it going to be that night? You know, kind of thing. So just thinking about that with Bain Hamaitreem being the weeks, but the weeks that we celebrate, that we commemorate, which are the weeks between the straits, Bain dream literally means between the straits, between the confinements, the restrictions, the, the, the bindings. And we know that lots of tragedies and calamities have happened during this time. And a lot of them have been because of our own doings. So when you think about that, if we cause this problem, then we're the ones that can also fix it. You know, like, when we committed the sin of the golden calf, we had to take steps to undo that, you know, namely drinking the solution, uh, deciding, okay, we're not going to worship this calf anymore. Decide to stand on Hashem's side because it says, "Who is, whoever is for Hashem, you know, let them stand with us and, and all that, right? So we're looking at all those different things. So going on to say, that everything that we did to cause the damages uh, for histories, centuries of history of our people, you know, we have to do that and more on the opposite end of the spectrum to really uh, turn the ship around. And one of the biggest boosts to turning the ship around is bringing in the nations. You know, giving those people who are uh, uneducated in Torah, who don't know a thing, and, and giving them access. You know, this is what Mashiach Yeshua told us. He said, go out into the world and make Talmudim." You know, when you have a whole globe seeking and chasing after Hashem, it's going to stir our hearts and say, we want Mashiach. Because we're lacking so much without him. We're lacking so much without the temple. And the the revelation that, that we could have, the, the abundance that the earth could produce, actually, you know, as we move into the Alam Haba, we're lacking all of that right now. And it could change in an instant. But do we want that? And how much of our consciousness is taken up with these things? So going on, it says... While they were waiting, Ahaz, an ungodly king, arose. Ahaz, challenged by God's servant, Yeshiyahu, which is Isaiah, to heed God's word and not enter into alliances with the enemies of Israel. So he was challenged by Yeshayahu. Like, listen to Hashem. Don't enter into alliances. And it says, Ahaz refused. Yeshua tried hard to win over Ahaz and bring him to trust the Lord. See, this is one of the other things, too, is we have to realize if we're trying to uh, woo or swoon someone into a sham or try to force them or debate them into a sham, it's not going to happen. Because it's not by power, it's not by might, it's by a spirit, first of all. Second of all, who really wants to end up in a relationship with a sham because Cause they, they're, they lost, you know, it's just like, well, how did you get into coven? Oh, well, someone just beat me down and I just gave in or, you know, I just realized I just had nothing else I could say to defend myself. I had no more rebuttals. And a person who serves Hashem from that state, you know, it's just kind of like you're, you're defeated. You know, that's, that's not good for your self-esteem and also for your service of Hashem because you basically were kind of strong-armed into it. And if you haven't noticed the hard walk that faith is already, I mean, it's easy. The commandments are easy. There's nothing terribly hard about them. They're all doable. It's just a matter of self-discipline. Self-discipline is not always easy. But as far as that goes, this walk, I mean, you... Really have to want it. And, you know, as we're in the three weeks, you really have to be pressing into Hashem and and being introspective and um, building bridges between our Jews, fellows, you know, and, and the world as well, you know. So all of this to say Ahaz refused signs from Hashem with hypocritical piety, he declared. I will not ask, neither will I test Hashem. So God rejected Ahaz because he was unworthy of God's miracles. But God nevertheless gave a miraculous sign to the whole house of David. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, also known as young maiden Parthenos. the Same thing Miriam was called in the Gospels. Uh, aka Alma doesn't always have to mean virgin and Alma is related to the word Betulot which is the plural of Betula which is what Rivka aka Rebecca was called a Betula and she was a virgin so when you really look at uh, the prototypes of these words, uh, first occurrences and things like that, you do come away with the understanding of the significance of virgin, even though it doesn't have to be that because a lot of people uh, like to debate over it. But what is the point of that? The point is she will bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Now, when a virgin conceives, this is interesting because remember when Miriam gave birth to Mashiach, it was without the intervention of man. When the earth gave birth to Adam, it was without the intervention of man. So we have a lot of prototypes of these, and even as well with Yitzhak um, Isaac being born of Sarah, another miraculous birth. So miraculous births are a part of our history and archetyped in so many different other cultures. But going on to say, it says she should call his name Emmanuel Buddy, and Hunt, Butter and Honey. Shall he that he may know to refuse the, evil, the child, refuse the evil, and choose the good? The land that you abhor shall be forsaken by both her kings. Here, God promises a sign of a supernatural child born of a virgin. Again, the word Alma, who would carry the symbolic name Emmanuel, God with us. Now, All the Mashiachim who've been proclaimed throughout history, none of them have actually been called Emmanuel. And it's important to know Emmanuel is a title, God with us. And it says he would be the promised king who would not make alliances with Assyria. The mighty Assyrians would not prevail over because Emmanuel and not Ahaz would rule Israel. But soon after the dawning of a new day, Ahaz had a son, Hizkiyahu, Hezekiah. So Hezekiah was supposed to be the Mashiach, but he wasn't. And this is connected to why the Mem of lemar Marbe and our Isaiah passage is closed, because it was a closed thing that Hezekiah was not going to be the Mashiach. Says he was a righteous and good king of great piety, obedient to the word of God. Would has the son, the good king Hezekiah, be chosen of God to fulfill all the prophecies that had accumulated through God's revelations? From Adam to Yeshiyahu. Doubtless, many, if not most in Israel hoped that Hezekiah would be that kind. Indeed, some thought he was. You know, this is the other thing, too, when we look at Mashiach, it says, Who do you who do you say, or who do they say the son of man is? You know, there's a whole drop about, some say you're the prophet, some say you're the man, some say you're Eliyahu, some say you're Yermiyahu, you know, you're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, you know, uh, who do you say I am, you know? And Kepha says, you are Ben-Hai you know? And so, what is Mashiach's response only Rabban Shelolam, only Hashem has revealed this to you. So when it comes to Hiskiyahu, there's not really a, a seeking and a self-revelation, so to speak, from Hashem that actually happens. It's more of people are just like, oh yeah, sure, that's him. You know, and actually it goes on to say the idea that hiskiyahu was the Mashiach probably prevailed a while. One rabbi is late as the first century, still maintain this position. Rabbi Hillel maintained Yisrael cannot expect Mashiach any longer, for they already enjoyed him in the time of King Izkiyahu. None of Rabbi Hillel's colleagues agreed with him, and one exclaimed, may God pardon Hillel, since he contradicts God's prophet Zachariah, Zachariah, who came centuries after Hezekiah who says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! behold, your king comes unto you. This is the riding on the donkey passage. So, Zechariah comes along and was like, yeah, the Mashiach is going to come riding in on a donkey. And this was after Hezekiah. So, it's just like, so is Hezekiah going to come back and ride on the donkey, or like what? So, all of this to say, It goes down to, say, over here, it says on the Isaiah 9 passage, says this passage goes on to imply Hezekiah was not the Mashiach, and it explains the closed mem signifies that the decision concerning the Mashiach was closed for now and postponed to another time. So, also important to note it says rashi also came to the conclusion that the emmanuel prophecy emmanuel could not refer to hezekiah because if you count up the years of hezekiah you will find that hezekiah was born nine years before his father ahaz ascended the throne hence hezekiah was born nine years before the prophecy was given yet the prophet says behold the virgin Shall in the future tense conceive, which is interesting because we have a whole Torah portion called Tazria, which is all about giving birth. And it literally is a mystical uh, allusion to Israel giving birth to a son. And then you bring in the Messiah text talking about Hebzibah and the mother of Israel. And she giving birth to the Mashiach. So there's all that uh, on an allegorical, metaphorical level to really take in. But anyway, it goes on to say that although the rabbis considered the possibility that Hezekiah might be the Messiah, they decided against it. They recognized his attributes as designated by his name, Hezekiah, which is Hiskiyahu, which... Means Hashem made him strong, which comes from the word chazak. God indeed strengthened Israel through Hezekiah's reign, although Hezekiah was of the seed from which Mashiach would come, and though Mashiach like he did not fulfill, he did not meet the full qualifications of the Anointed One, who would fulfill the Emmanuel prophecy. Israel would have to wait. So we're in this time of waiting right now. And also just want to bring up about the whole government on the shoulders. If you go to Tehillim 72.5, it says this. that Psalms 72.5. Tehillim is from the word Tehillah, which means to praise. So Tehillim is the plural of Tehillah, which is praises when you really translate it. So the praises, chapter seven, the 72, verse 5. It says, they will fear you as long as the sun shines and the moon endures, generation after generation. So Shlomo will teach the people to fear you. They, in turn, will educate the next generation to fear you. And so on for all generations. That's from the Medzudo. And this also from the redoc as a reference to the days of the Mashiach, the verse can be taken quite literally since in his days, the world will be filled with the knowledge of God and people will indeed fear God forever. So whether it's Shlomo, which is King Solomon, or Mashiach, which by the way, both of them are Ben David, they're teaching the world to fear Hashem and this is the government that is upon the shoulders other mashiach global government as it goes on to bring down there's a whole hasidut drop it says the perfection of the world that comes with the redemption is contingent on our perfection when we gain control over our personal sea and earth we will usher in the era where mashiach rules from sea to sea unto the ends of the earth the sea whose depths are concealed from view represents our inner life the exposed earth represents how we relate to the world. It's to master our sea, our ideas, influence our actions. It is therefore vital to concentrate our thoughts on holy pursuits. Yet, even so, our actions can be estranged from our thoughts. The mind may dictate, but the body can still ignore. We must therefore gain control of the sea of our actions as well. But perfecting our personal inner life is not sufficient. We are expected to extend our efforts to the ends of the earth, to reach those parts of the world that are spiritually distant and seemingly unrelated to us. When we refine ourselves and our surroundings, we will merit the coming of Mashiach and the fulfillment of this verse. So, as we're in these three weeks, we're refining ourselves, and this is connected to why the walls were breached. And the whole Nebuzaradan drop from the Talmud about the, the axes that he used to bust through the walls is just quite simply... Uh, it's really intense so I don't want to take time today to go through that but that's a, a beautiful thing to look up in the Talmud when it comes to uh the destruction of the first temple uh how Nebuzaradan uh broke through the walls and ultimately after the destruction of the temple and and things like that he actually converted to Judaism so this destruction, uh, that we've experienced in the past should actually lead to us, uh, becoming new. And I don't know if anyone has heard about the Hoftura podcast, uh, during the three weeks that myself and Hasiz have done, uh, in our past, it's in our past episodes of the haftarah podcast during Parsha Pincus and, um, Parsha Matot Masay and Devarim, uh, there's a whole section of understanding about the revitalization of the people through the destruction of the temple, and this is one of the things that is significant about the prophecy of Yeremiahhu, because his, his prophecy expands from before the destruction, during the destruction, and afterwards. So. I mean he actually went through a lot (laughs) so back to book of our heritage to conclude our time today talking about the breaching of the walls it says on the 17th of Tammuz during the period of the second Beit HaMikdash Titus and his legions broke into the city of Jerusalem. at the time of the destruction the first of the of the first Beit HaMikdash during the reign of Zidkiyahu king Zedekiah the verse from Yirmiyahu, Isaiah, fifty two sixty seven states, in the fourth month, on the ninth of the month, the famine became strong. So this is, the fourth month is Tammuz. And the ninth of Tammuz is what we're talking about. The famine became strong in the city and there was no bread for the people and the city was breached. And all the warriors fled and left the city at night. Talmud Yerushalaymi records that the period of the first Beit HaMikdash, the city was also breached on the 17th of Tammuz. And however, as a result of the great calamities that occurred then, The records became confused and the people thought the walls had been breached on the ninth. Although God knew in his prophet and as did his prophet that the breaching actually occurred on the 17th, he wrote through his prophet Yermiyahu that it was on the ninth of the month. As the people believed, indicating that he was together with them in their grief and therefore even his calculations became confused as it were a notion which the mouth is incapable of speaking and the ear of hearing. We read in the Talmud Yerushalmi, to what can this be compared to a king who was sitting and making his calculations when his attendants came in and told him, your son has been taken captive. As a result, his calculations became confused. Thereupon the king said, let this date be the beginning of calculations. Tozifos in Rosh Hashanah 12b, explains, because the people were distraught, they made a mistake in their calculation as to when the walls of the city were breached and scripture did not want to change that which they thought. So, a very neat point that if you look at textual criticism, you see the written text says it was the ninth of the Fourth month. It was the ninth of Tammuz. It wasn't actually the seventeenth Tammuz. But when you get into the oral Torah, you find out that it was actually no, it was really the seventeenth of Tammuz. But the only reason it's recorded as the ninth is because Hashem allowed the prophecy to go forth, saying that it was the ninth as opposed to the seventeenth, because. There was so much grief, there was so much uh, distraughtness, and that was to the 17th. So if you do the calculation, you have 9th to the 10th, to the 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th. So you have a whole eight-day discrepancy going on. And what's interesting is this is the same number of days as the inauguration of the Mishkin. And so it's like a reverse effect, so to speak, because it took those eight days to begin to tear everything down as opposed to the eight days it took to really build everything back up. So Hashem himself even entered into the grief and the pain and the sorrow and the quote-unquote confusion of, of this time. So this is how powerful this time is, that Hashem aligns with our emotions, which is the whole reason why, if we're continuing to think calamity, if we're continuing to be horrible to each other, uh, like is happening, all the Lashon Hara, all the tearing each other down, all the the dissensions that is going on, and all of the the factions and the divides and things like that, then we're telling Hashem, Hashem, don't worry about fixing this time. Don't worry about building us back up. Don't worry about bringing healing to the world. Destruction is fine. Sickness is totally cool. Pandemic is amazing. That's what we tell Hashem every single time that we want to uh, be haughty, want to be arrogant, we want to be against each other, and we don't want to all join in self-nullification and taking dominion over our sea and our earth, as we read in the in the Tehillim, that's a breaching of the walls when those things happen. And so building those walls back up is actually rectifying our relationships with each other and really turning and focusing our eyes upon the ultimate and perfecter, finisher of Arimuna, May we merit to see King Mashiach and may we merit building everything up with love that is baseless, understanding that we all need Hashem, we all have to be repentant and there are all things that we're working on. And may we work on bringing the finalization of the Geula. Mashiach now, Baruch Habab, Hashem,